So like Stephen said, we are going to be in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. It's right in that uh, bulletin that you grabbed at the front. I would encourage you to look at that instead of the physical Bible as pages can go all over the place. Um, but again, there's nothing like holding a physical Bible. While you guys turn there, I have a very important question. And that question is, what encourages you about coming to church? Why, after all these weeks of being apart, we still want to come gather in these circumstances? Can't just be because we miss seeing other people. We could go to Stop and Shop or Walmart to see other people. What is different about coming here? What is different about seeing these people? What about praying together? Why do we still hop on Zoom calls to pray with one another? Why do we still attend growth groups over Zoom? Why do we have this need to gather together like this? What makes us want to come back week after week and make us so overjoyed that we get to have it in this setting? This Christian manner of life is one that is frequently encouraging. Even on the days where the last thing that I want to do is leave the comfort of my own home, my own couch, I want to come to church and I never regret doing it. I never regret engaging in fellowship, whether that be in groups or with individuals. What is fellowship. The theologian John Piper puts it well. He says, fellowship is a mutual bond that Christians have with Christ that puts us in a deep emotional relationship with one another. So we see that it is first and foremost the bond that we have with Christ that we share with others that have that same bond. So therefore, fellowship can only be with other Christians as it stems from what we individually have with Christ. In our text today, we'll not only see why fellowship is encouraging, but also how we can act in a way that is encouraging to one another and how that positively affects our witness. So let's take a look at our text today, Philippians 1, verses 27 through 30. Paul writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict you saw I had and now hear that I still have. I want to make three points regarding the life of fellowship that is presented in this passage. One, Fellowship is encouraging to other Christians. Two, fellowship is striving together for faith of the gospel. And three, fellowship is a fearless witness. I get those from verses 27 to 28. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not fighting in anything by your opponents. Now we have to remember that this these three points are a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel. That's what Paul says. So we'll also be talking about what that means and how important that is to us. All right. My first point is fellowship is encouraging to other Christians. Fellowship is encouraging to other Christians. We can find that our Christian identity is often tied to our fellowship together. It's no uh, coincidence that so many people think coming to church itself makes you a Christian, because coming to church shows part of our Christian identity. It's encouraging to be known and to know 
other people with the same experiences as us, with the same values and goals. That's why we have clubs and groups. It builds commodity. But it's so much deeper than that. Fellowship is used by God not only to bring us closer together, but also closer to him. When we do these things that show our manner of life, such as standing firm, striving together, being unafraid, we spur one another on towards Christ because we see Christ's work in each other. We do it together to show that we are of one spirit and one mind, showing that our unity is because of the gospel that has tied us together, not our own internal desires. Being of one spirit, therefore, means being one because the Holy Spirit is within us. Now, I know that some of you in the past have attended churches where you don't really feel this unity, where you don't really feel this fellowship, where you have been hurt by churchgoers with antagonistic hearts rather than loving ones. And I promise you that this disunity was not caused by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about a lively debate or disagreement such as, you know, little minor things in the Bible that some of us may have different opinions about. I'm talking about genuine disunity. I'm talking about pride. I'm talking about greed. I'm talking about racism. I'm talking about sexism. Cruel and mean acts. It's not caused by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit in me is not going to cause disunity with the Holy Spirit in you the same spirit our disunity then comes not from the spirit but from, but from our individual passions that lead to quarrels james says this pretty explicitly in the book of james chapter 4 he writes what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is it not this that your passions are at war within you you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you're asking you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Submitting to God and drawing near to God means submitting and drawing near to the spirit that he has given us, which unites us and fulfills his purposes in us. The spirit gives us a new heart with new desires, which unite us rather than divide us. Now, this unity is encouraging not just to those in the unity, but also those outside of it as well, separate church families as well. The church in Philippi, which Paul is writing to, was one of the very first that he had planted. How encouraging is it to Paul to know that in his church plant, the gospel is being spread and that its members are personally growing in Christ? Look again at verses 29 through 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Knowing that they have the same struggle and yet still standing firm in the faith together and being fearless is encouraging to Paul. That's the side by side that he mentions in verse 27. And that's why Paul writes, whether I visit you in person or just hear about you, I want to know the ways that God is glorifying himself in their unity. It's the same glue that holds them together. It's the same glue that holds Paul to them as well. Fellowship in the Holy Spirit. That's why we need 
fellowship and need to come together virtually or in person. Seeing God's work in one another is insanely inspirational. Paul says this again in Romans 1.12. He says, That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So I never regret coming to church or engaging in fellowship, whether I want to or not, because I know that it's God-commanded and good for me. It's good for you. So we see that fellowship is commanded by God because it's encouraging and pushes us closer to him. My second point is fellowship is striving together for the faith of the gospel. Fellowship is striving together for the faith of the gospel. Look again at verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Why strive together if not for the gospel? Paul says in Romans and 1 Corinthians and several other places that the gospel is the power by which we are saved. There is no church without the gospel because there will be none saved without the gospel. The gospel is the means of God that he uses to bring us to himself, which is why we must strive to live a life that is worthy of it. Now, striving together means there's an urgency, right? To strive means to make great efforts to achieve or obtain something. When we are saved, when we are called to faith by God, we are given a connection to God that is achieved by faith, and therefore the encouragement to strive for faith. If we're not striving together to achieve faith, if church is a social club only, then what are we doing? What do we see? We see a lack of witness and therefore a lack of conversion. When we're not striving for faith, there is a lack of faith and therefore a lack of encouraging and pushing one another towards Christ. There's a lack of fellowship. And so people leave the church. If there's no foundation, if there's no urgency, if there's no goal to attend, then why even attend at all? Look at verses 27 and 28 again. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Striving together for faith in the gospel is not only a life that is worthy of the gospel, but also proves our salvation. Just like genuine worship or steadfastness in prayer, this is a genuine sign of our salvation. So how do we know if we are striving to achieve faith or if we are simply plateauing. There are a couple ways to see. One, are we engaging in fellowship or routine? Are we engaging in fellowship or routine? As I mentioned in my previous point, fellowship encourages us to continue to seek Christ and see that in one another. Are we pushing one another towards Christ or simply routine? Are we saying, hey, you need to come to church because if you sleep in that late, it'll make you pretty lazy? No. We're saying you need to come to church because you need to engage with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you need to worship God because he deserves it. Are we just seeking fellowship or routine? Now, routine isn't bad. Routine is nice. But if the heart isn't there, if you're not striving for the faith, then why do it at all? Why have that routine at all? Are you still striving? 
Two, are we aware of what's working against us? Are we aware of what's working against us? There are a huge number of things in this world that would love to take away our faith. Satan being the first and foremost, but followed closely behind is this sinful world and our own sinful flesh. I am consistently surprised by how sinful I am and how dastardly evil and genius Satan is. Do not underestimate his ability to trick you. Don't. Don't underestimate your sinful flesh's ability to listen to those lies. And don't underestimate the world's ability to make it incredibly easy for you to follow through on that sin. If we are aware of these things, then we will have more urgency. Nothing breeds resolve like opposition, right? Now, this sounds really hard. Sounds almost impossible with everything working against us and comfort being so easy to rest in. Christ himself told us it would be hard in Luke 13, 24. Strive, there's that word, strive to enter through the narrow door. For I tell you, many will seek to enter and not be able. Yeah, this seems hard, almost impossible. In fact, it is impossible because we are sinful. We were sinful from birth. But what is impossible for man is possible for God. He made a way through his gospel. He came to earth in form of a man, Jesus Christ. There he lived a perfect, sinless life, only to be killed on the cross and take the punishment for all of our sins and then rise from the dead three days later. That is the gospel that we strive to live a life worthy of and have faith in together. Don't lose sight of that. The faith has been given to us by God. We strive to keep it and to keep one another in it. That's what it means to strive for faith. My third and final point is fellowship is a fearless witness. Fellowship is a fearless witness. I get that from verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Here we see a couple of things. We see that we shouldn't be frightened in anything that our opponents do. We see that this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. And we see that this is a clear sign to them of our salvation. Let me be very clear of what this verse is not saying. This verse is not saying, I can do whatever I want and it will show them that they're going to hell and that I'm going to heaven. That is not what this verse is saying. And this is not giving you an excuse to be mean, judgmental, or rude. Remember when I said in my previous point about individual passions rather than the spirit? That comes into play here. This is very clearly not an action done by us, but rather a reaction by us. It's our reaction of fearlessness that becomes a clear sign to them of their destruction and our salvation. This is because how we react to things is a clear sign of our character. It tells a lot about what our faith is in and how we process things. You know, this reaction of fearlessness reminds me of a very specific story in the Bible about uh, three young Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can read it in Daniel 3, but I'll give you the summary here. There was a king during that time. His name was King Nebuchadnezzar. I first learned about him in Veggie Tales. 
I learned about a lot of things in VeggieTales. King Nebuchadnezzar was king during that time, and he made a false god out of gold. You know, classic Old Testament stuff, making a god out of gold. He decreed that everyone should worship this god. And if they don't, they'll be thrown into a fiery furnace. You know it's bad when it's described as a fiery furnace and not, you know, just a regular furnace. These three young Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to worship the golden god. And they didn't even defend themselves. They simply said that if God would protect them in the furnace, and even if he didn't, they still wouldn't worship or serve the false god. What faith! Even if God wouldn't save them, they still wouldn't turn against him. They had faith that God would glorify himself in them, whether they live or die. So they were thrown into the fiery furnace. But they survived. They weren't wounded at all. And this shocked King Nebuchadnezzar, who said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. You know what that sounds like to me? Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar saw a sign of his destruction and of their salvation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't try to fight back when they were persecuted. They didn't call it tyranny, even though it clearly was. And they didn't even try to escape. They didn't defend themselves at all. They had enough faith in their God to know that if he would choose to protect them, nothing could harm them. That reaction was based on like-minded faith and fellowship rather than self-preservation. We see another huge example of a Christ-like response of fearlessness when Christ himself was faced an unjust trial before being hung on the cross. He made no defense, even though every single accusation against him was false. This mindset was encapsulated perfectly by Christ when he said in Matthew 10, 28, And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, this isn't saying that you can never make a defense. We see several humble, Christ-like defenses in the book of the Acts where the apostles are told several times not to preach. And they give a defense, and they preach anyway. What I'm talking about here is a Christ-like reaction that shows faith in God and his purposes rather than people-pleasing self-preservation. Let me say that again. I'm talking about a humble Christ-like reaction that shows faith in God and his purposes rather than people-pleasing self-preservation. So let's make it a little bit more personal. When the state and the country shut down places of worship for the sake of public health, we had a choice in how we would respond. How do we react in a way that is side by side, striving together for faith, but fearless at the same time? So what we did by moving things online, it didn't take the place of corporate worship on Sunday. It didn't. But it was a great momentary substitute to make for the health and well-being of others, particularly those in our church family. These are souls we're talking about, lives. God has given us and instructed us to corporately meet together so that we may grow in him. That's fellowship, 
And that's growth. And that's the purpose. So when we have to pivot to online circumstances or live streams, we do so knowing that God would provide the means for us to continue to worship him in the ways that he has commanded. That's faith in God. That's why the moment it was safe to do so, we made the decision to come back to corporate fellowship in this way. Because it's important to us. And it's God-commanded. But when normal fellowship was taken away from us in the name of public health, we responded in a way that humbly accepts the decision of those in charge, whether we agree with the decision or not. Because that decision wasn't persecuting us in the way that it demanded us to get rid of our fellowship. It's not what happened. Just that we simply momentarily adjust how we engage in fellowship for the health and well-being of others. Fellowship might be harder online, maybe a little harder here when we have to stay six feet apart, but we know it's commanded and it's good for us, so we continue in it. That reaction shows the rest of the world that we're different from them. We show that our faith is in God and his good purposes in us, which includes fellowship, and is so much more than the routine of meeting in the same building every week. It's more than that. So when that fellowship is tested, we get to see if it's truly fellowship or simply routine, if we're striving for it or not. And now that God has blessed us in this way to return to corporate fellowship, we should praise him. He has commanded us to engage in fellowship, and now he has made a way for us to continue in it. While being safe, while caring for one another and the health of each other, and also enjoying the nice weather. So we were fearless because we know that God would bless us in that way. And he, he will in his time. When our reaction to anything, whether that be a momentary change in fellowship or persecution itself, when our reaction is clearly based in God and faith in God and his purposes in us, rather than outrage fueled by individual passions, then the world can clearly see a sign of our salvation and their destruction. Now, what if we do face persecution, like many Christians in the Bible? What if we get hunted down for our faith? What if we get publicly ridiculed for our faith? What then? Look again at verses 29 through 30. For it has been granted to you, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul is engaging in the same conflict that his beloved church is engaged in, which is suffering for Christ. His may look a little different, and his may look much different than ours today, but it's both are suffering, and which is granted to us. The same God that has elected us to faith in him, that elected us to be saved from our sins and be sanctified day by day, is the same God that elects us to suffer. Let me say that again. It's the same God that elects us to suffer. But it is also the same God that sustains and blesses us through it. Christ says in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So, the, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, then you are a citizen of the kingdom. You are blessed when spoken against falsely. But remember, this is persecution for righteousness' sake. This is acting like Christ fearlessly and receiving false judgment. This isn't someone having a different opinion than you. This isn't losing a political election. This isn't not getting something that you want. This is acting with righteousness, acting like Christ and getting punished unjustly for it. And we are fearless in that because we know that this suffering has been ordained by God and that his purposes in it are good. But if they're self-ordained, if they're driven by our passions rather than our same spirit fellowship, then we're in sin and we need to repent. This fearlessness is driven by fellowship that points one another towards Christ. So in these very short three verses, we saw three points. Fellowship is encouraging to other Christians. Fellowship is striving together for faith in the gospel. And fellowship is a fearless witness. Church, we need to remember that our actions can encourage or discourage each other, other Christians, and the world. And that's based on if we're acting in the spirit or out of selfish ambition. The spirit will lead us to unity if we follow it. We can only do this through striving for faith in the gospel together. So keep pushing forward, knowing that it's not the size of faith that matters, but the one who the faith is in. God has always been and always will be worthy of our faith. He will never deny himself and be unfaithful to us. This should establish in us a fearlessness that makes an impression on the rest of the world. An impression that shows them that our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in our country, not in our money, and not in our comforts. And not in our individual passions. That faith cannot be shaken because God cannot be shaken. You know, God was the only one who is not shaken by the coronavirus. Countries buckled. Individuals lost jobs and livelihoods. Stocks plummeted. But God stands strong. Have faith in that, in that solid foundation. This type of faith and fellowship is only possible through his spirit, which he graciously gave us when he saved us. So let's praise him for that and let him be the example by which we serve and love one another. Let's pray. Lord, we praise your name for fellowship. We praise your name for that good gift that you have given us in which we can come together praise you, and encourage one another towards you. Lord, I pray for our church family. Pray that you would continue to give us unity in one another, unity in your spirit, Lord. 
Pray that we would seek repentance with one another, that we would seek love with one another. Pray that we would continue to seek and lean on you and your spirit, especially during these times, Lord. Please keep us, bless us, protect us. In Christ's name, amen.